So I want to begin in John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. For greater love is no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I've called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do to you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they had not had sinned. But now they have no cloak for their sin. For he that hateth me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works which none other man did... They had not had sinned, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this comes to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeds from the father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. And I just want to pause there. And I want to go back, if you will, to verse 13. And it says, greater love has no man than this. And Jesus said that right after he gave us a command. That we would love one another as he loved us. The only possibility that this can happen is if you receive the Holy Spirit which is in chapter 15, verse 26 and 7. You cannot love like Jesus without the Spirit of Jesus. You cannot love Jesus or love other people like Jesus without the Spirit of Jesus in your life. You cannot do it. Religious people try to do it. They cannot do it. But I pray that we would heed what God has said And that we would understand this is his commandment to us. And I think it is very strong that you love one another as I loved you. You love one another as I loved you. Not even that you love God the way God loved you. But you love one another. And I just want to stress that to you this morning. This is his commandment. That you love one another as he has loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. I think that's marvelous. I believe that one of the statements that Jesus is making here, and 
You know, Jesus, when they wrote this in the Greek and all the punctuations that came later and the breakup of sentences and verses that came later, sometimes may throw some confusion on this. But Jesus says that greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. What does that mean? And it just simply means that I'm going to lay my life down for you. You're my friends and I'm going to lay my life down for you. I'm going to die for you. And, and everything that's going on in this scenario, in this moment, is right at the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. And when Jesus is making this confession to these, this group of people that you are my friends and I'm going to lay my life down for you because greater love has no man than this that he would lay his life down for his friends. So that's what I'm going to do for you. He is not laying his life down for a group of people that are wonderful people. They're not great people. They're not faithful people. They're unfaithful people. As a matter of fact, this night, this same night, every one of them is going to forsake him. In his greatest moment of need, when he will sweat blood... They will forsake him. And these are the ones he's going to lay his life down for. Because he has the greatest love of all. There's no greater love than the love of Jesus Christ. And that is the love that lays its life down for its friends. He laid his life down for enemies. He laid his life down for the unfaithful. He laid his life down for those that crucified him. He laid his life down for those that abandoned him. He laid his life down for those that had or would forsake him. That's who he laid his life down for. And if you just jump ahead into chapter 16, he says in verse 27, For the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came out from God. Verse 32, Behold, the hour comes and it's right now. That you shall be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I know that you love me. The Father knows that you love me because you believe in me. But tonight, every one of you are going to abandon me and you're going to forsake me. But because I'm the friend that sticks closer than a brother, and because my love is perfect, I'm still going to lay my life down for you. I'm not laying my life down for you because you're faithful. I'm not laying my life down for you because you're good. I'm not laying my life down for you because I could even trust you in this moment. I'm laying my life down because that's what love does. And that's what I'm going to do for you because you're my friend's. As I have loved you, my commandment is that you love one another. And I want to ask you to search your heart this morning if you love other people that way. Have you ever been forsaken? Forsaken in a moment of darkness in your life? Have you ever felt abandoned in the greatest trial that you ever walked through in your life? Have you ever felt betrayed? By people that you were supposed to be able to trust? Have you ever felt hated by people who were supposed to love you through thick and thin? Have you ever felt ostracized or misunderstood or taken for granted or used and abused? Have you ever felt that way? Jesus did. 
Jesus felt that way. And he still laid his life down. How often and how true it is that we really don't love like Jesus loves. How true it is that there's so many offenses in the body of Christ that we begin to isolate ourselves and we, we begin to withdraw ourselves because of the pain or the forsaking or the abandonment or the misunderstandings that we have had with people that we are around the throne of God with. Henry Drummond in his book, which is a wonderful book, The Greatest Thing in the World, he writes this. It seems all too common for people to run away. Their feelings get hurt. A legitimate offense occurs and they are offended. The typical response is to run, flee, forsake the body. But is this love? Does the love of God run? When our sin offended God, did he run and forsake us? The high level of bitterness and isolation among Christians these days only reveals the bankruptcy of love among God's children. Yet all the while, they would proudly proclaim that they are strong in God's love. No man is more mature in Christ than the man who can love at all times to all people. Under all circumstances. I inserted this. Love is never more manifest than when it is suffering in order to extend forgiveness to those who have brought it sorrow and wound. Love cannot forsake. Love cannot run away. It must stay and fight and labor for the benefit of those by whom it is offended. No, to God this would be the fruit of believers' lives. If we would submit to the Holy Ghost, He would make us more than scholars. He would make us apostles of love. As the alarm sounds, it's time to love. <clears throat> and if He could mature us in Christ, which is to be a loving people, revival would be a ceaseless occurrence in the house of God. Love does not run and hide because love cannot live alone. Love would rather be crucified by you than live without you. This is what the Holy Ghost is trying to conform us to. That's why you have problems and pain and misunderstanding and the sense of offense in your life. The Holy Spirit has engineered this. To reveal to us how unlike Christ we are and how desperate we need His grace to be more Christ-like. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the maturity of the saint is love. This is the love that causes faith to work. Do not isolate yourself. Henry Drummond says, be among men and among things. And live in the midst of trouble and difficulty and obstacles and show Christ right there. Because anybody can show Christ where it's easy. But the Holy Spirit shows him where it's hard. Jesus is our friend. He would lay his life down for us. Aren't you glad that Jesus is a friend? And aren't you glad that he demonstrates the greatest of love? To love us in that way. And then he calls us friends. And, and he says in verse 14. If you are my friends. 
or you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And so that we don't go and do like the Jews and build 600 more commandments that will weigh us down in absolute oppression that none of us will fulfill. Can we just let Jesus' words speak for themselves and be our commandment? And we don't have to build upon this and we don't have to begin to put restraints upon people and we don't have to put demands upon people and we don't have to be offended because somebody doesn't live up to the measure that I want them to live up to. And this is the command of Jesus. Verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. That's his command. He opens with it in verse 12 and he closes with it in verse 17. That's it. And all of the law and all of the prophets is fulfilled in that. But that command in itself is absolutely impossible for us to fulfill apart from the Holy Spirit. We must have the spirit of love. And I believe that that was the baptism that Jesus promised to give us. That many Christians have made optional in their life. But Jesus came with a baptism to give. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. And the fire, without controversy, is the love of God. To baptize us in His Spirit and in His love. And the burning heart of God's Spirit within our life that causes us to live beyond our own measure. To move us into situations of danger and difficulty. And to cause us to not retreat when we feel like we're the black sheep of the congregation. It is our opportunity to express Jesus in that moment in a greater way than we will ever have in our life. And the greatest pulpit that you could ever have in your life is when it feels like everybody's against you and nobody understands you and nobody likes you. Welcome to Jesus' club. Don't run. Don't forsake, turn around, face it, and show the love of God. And somebody will see. Not everybody saw the love of God in Jesus Christ, but we did, praise God. And other people did, praise God. And forever history has been changed because of this. And I, I don't pretend, the love of God doesn't save anybody. People are not going to heaven because of the love of God, but because of the love of God, the opportunity has been given to everyone to go to heaven. Anyone can come because of the love of God. But if it was the love of God that saved us, then everybody would be saved and there wouldn't be the need for hell. But it is God's love that would lay his life down so that anybody that wants to escape torment can come to the Prince of Peace. Anybody can. There's, there's no qualification other than believe. And if you believe, you can come. And you can be restored to God. And this is the way that we're supposed to love each other. Loving each other does not necessarily save each other. Me loving you does not necessarily clean up your life. Me loving you does not necessarily bring you to repentance. But me loving you gives you the opportunity to come to God and I will help you get there. Do you understand that? Love is so misunderstood and so confused. 
And it's put down and it's removed from the church because we think we've got to put standards on our love. But Jesus' love was agape love. It was unconditional. He gave it to everyone so that whosoever will could come. And if they came, they wouldn't remain the same. There would be repentance and there would be a change of life. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever misunderstand that. We as a church do not have to stop showing love in order to be holy and in order to be godly. If we stopped showing love, we would cease to be holy and cease to be godly. But to show love and to demonstrate love and to offer love and to give love is by no means a compromise to holy living. But it is the means by which all men can have the hope of a holy life. Because they know they can get to God as they are. This is one of the greatest battles in Christendom, especially in the last few decades of American history. And in many cases, it doesn't appear that the church is winning. The culture believes we hate them. Now, maybe there are people in the culture that believe we hate them because we are not inclusive of their behavior. So be it. Because we cannot be inclusive of the behavior and the morality of a culture that is anti-God, anti-human, and completely demonic. We cannot be inclusive of that, but it does not mean that we stop loving, which is not something that we verbally confess. It is something that we actually do. We actually, in some way, lay our life down. We make a sacrifice to show love to one another and to be able to help one another. And so this is what Jesus asked us to do. Again, verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. That's my commandment for you. And what is it that makes you love God like this? Stay with me. And I would tell you this, and I would tell you this with as much confidence as I possibly could. It is not the presence of God that's going to make you love like this. Because a lot of people were in the presence of God when Jesus was on earth. And they didn't love like this. And it's not going to be a Bible study. It's not going to be this sermon that teaches you to love like this. It's not even going to be your ability to recognize that I need to love like that. That's going to make you love like this. It's not going to be a miracle that makes you love like this. Loving like this can only occur when something happens to you. And it's happened to very few people. Very few. There was a certain day when a Pharisee, a religious man, the Bible says greatly desired for Jesus to come and eat with him. So Jesus accepted the invitation and he went to the man's house. And while Jesus was there in the man's house, there was a woman of the city, the Bible says, who was a sinner. 
And when she heard that Jesus was in the man's house, she came into the house with a bottle of ointment that was very expensive. And without permission, and certainly being ostracized because she was not allowed or supposed to be there, she came up behind Jesus and she could do nothing but cry. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And she took her glory, which was her hair. And she began to wipe his, the mud from off of his feet. And she took that ointment and she broke it and she poured it on his feet. And she just stayed there on, on her knees before Jesus. Now, while this was going on, the religious people who are in the presence of God, but don't love like that. And the religious people who know the law backwards and forwards, but do not love like that. And the religious people who could tell you that God is love, but do not love like that, began to say in themselves, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman's touching him. So they began to justify themselves inwardly and condemn Jesus as a fake. He can't be real. He can't be true. I mean, this is the proof. Look, a sinner is touching him. And he's allowing it because we were holy men. There's no way a sinner is going to touch us. And, and sinners never felt the liberty to touch them either. And children never felt the liberty to run to them. But there she is. Touching Jesus. But Jesus, being the prophet that he is, he said, um, Simon, I need to ask you a question. He said, tell me who forgives more. And I'll bring it into maybe our day. If there was a creditor and he brought the two people in that owed him, and he said to one that owed him a hundred dollars, that I want you to pay me the hundred dollars. And the other person owed him a million dollars. And he said, I want you to pay me the million. But instead, I'm going to forgive both of you your debt. Jesus said to the religious man, which one would love the creditor the most? And the religious leader said, I suppose the one that was forgiven the million dollars. Jesus said, you're right. Those that are forgiven much love much. And I love what the Bible says Jesus did. The woman's at his feet and he looks at her, but he speaks to Simon. When I came into your house, you did not wash my feet. You gave me no kiss of greeting. He's looking at the woman the whole time. You gave me no kiss of greeting. But she has washed my feet with her tears. She has anointed my feet with oil. And she has not stopped kissing me. Daughter, your sins, which are so very many, are forgiven. Get away from these men. Go. They'll hurt you. But I won't. They'll hurt you. 
And if you can catch a glimpse of that, you will begin to see how it is that you begin to love like Jesus loves. You begin to love like God loves. Because God being perfect and us not being perfect, you recognize when you look into absolute perfection, you get close enough to Jesus where you see yourself. And when you see yourself, you'll never look down on another human being again. Because that's you. But do you know how few Christians believe that? Do you know how few people in this room actually believe that they are the worst of the worst? Oh, we can say it. We can say it so easily. But just our attitudes, our comments. How could God ever use them? Immediately begins to speak of the fact that there are people that are better than you. People more superior than you. I'm more holy than you. Why doesn't God use me? Why is he using you? These types of attitudes. When really the the fact of the matter is, how can God use anybody but Jesus? How is it even possible that God can use anybody but Jesus? And the hope of all mankind is that God is such a great lover and his redemption is so sufficient. He can use any of us, any of us, because the fact of the matter is we're all the same. We've all sinned the same. We've all sinned to the same degree. We're all worthy of the same punishment. We might have not done the exact same things that other people did. But if you think the possibility is not in you to be that person you hate, you've yet to see God. Because when you do, you will not boast of yourself anymore. And you will understand, I've been forgiven much much, most, and who can I ever be above? I'm beneath the woman that was at his feet. Honestly, you begin to see yourself in this light. This is not fun. This is certainly not building seeker mega ministry type ministry preaching. But it is so wonderful. It is so freeing to be able to take the mask off and be able to say, go play your game. I'm delivered. I'm free of that. I don't have to pretend because I'm I'm just not that. But I love Jesus and I want to be like him. And the proof of that is in every opportunity that I have to love people who don't like me. Who when they see you, they smile. Or they pretend friendly, but in their hearts, they're a million miles away from you. And you know it. And your heart begins to run a million miles after them. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the disposition of the Lord and what he would begin to do for us. So I want to go to this last scripture in Luke. 
And the story that I was telling you about was in Luke 7. But I want to just read one little scripture. I, I love this. It's very possible I may revisit this next Sunday. <clears throat> but in Luke 6, there is this truth that is being given by Jesus <clears throat> so powerful. He talks about what his father's like. Um, he talks about how his father's merciful. He talks about how his father is gracious. He, he, he explains, which was radical back then. It's not so radical to us because of our indoctrination to the Bible. But it was radical back then when Jesus was saying that my father is merciful to the unrighteous and the righteous. That messed up some of the religious thinking of Jesus' day. <clears throat> and then Jesus, you know, tells the people that are listening to him, be careful how you judge. Because the way you judge is the way you're going to be judged. As you give, it shall be given back to you. He's talking about judgment. So you judge somebody. You judge somebody's baby. You judge somebody's daughter. You judge somebody's son. Somebody's going to judge yours. And with the measure you judge is the measure that your judgment's going to come back to you. But men are going to do it more than you did it. They're going to do is going to be pressed down and running over. Their judgment back to you is going to be so severe. We saw some of that back in the 80s. How men would, would do that and some of the things that, that would occur. God have mercy. So he says, why not be merciful? I mean, if, 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 if it's going to come back to you what you did, if, 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 if it's going to be measured the way you measured it, then why not be merciful? Your Father in heaven's merciful. Why not be merciful? And I'm not telling you not to judge. Jesus, this is by no means some, some thing that people... Take out a context and say, see, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge. No, it says judge not lest you be judged. So it's not telling you not to judge. It's just telling you, Jesus said, if you have to and if you must, just know this, it's coming back to you. Because there'll be some things you're just going to have to deal with and you're going to have to judge. Be very careful. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But then he said this. Before you go and deal with this splinter in your brother's eye, get the beam out of yours. Now, he didn't say that in the way that, hey, go and to, to the eye doctor and see if there's a beam in your eye before you deal with No, there is one in yours. It's, it's not a question of maybe or could be. It is. So when you see splinters, when you see sins in other people, go deal with your own first. Then you can see clearly to help somebody. Go to the light. Look at God. 
look at him and see yourself. Go to the word and let it be a mirror for you so you can see yourself before you go and deal with the correction in other people. That may have to be done. It may have to be done. So many beautiful things Jesus taught in this chapter. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, turn the other cheek. And, I, and, and when people use you, and people curse you, and people abuse you, pray for them and bless them. And then this verse is just kind of tucked in here. This is why I may visit this again next week. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. Why do you do this? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you don't do the things that I say. Why do you do that? Now he's speaking to me. I know. I know by experience he's speaking to me. Because I've had to find this out the hard way, very difficult way. My own hypocrisy. My own failure to love. And judge harshly and critically. Carelessly. Callously. I've learned the hard way. So Jesus said that to me. Why do you call me Lord Lee? When you don't do what I say. Why do you do that? And we do that all the time. We do that in Christianity all the time. As a matter of fact. When we were reading in John 15. About you know. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I've loved you. How, how many times have Christians read that and said. Deal. I'll do that. Like. Come on. No, you're not. You're going to fail. And it is only in failing that you're going to realize how desperate you are for the Holy Ghost. Because he's the only one that can do it. And so then Jesus goes and he says this parable. And he said, there are two men. And they heard these sayings of mine. There are these two men and they go and they build their houses. And one man builds his house on the sand and another man goes and builds his house on the rock because he dug out the dirt and he dug it all out till there was a solid ground so he could put a solid footing on it and he built his house. But both people are active in what Jesus said. They're going about it to do what Jesus said. And, and Jesus said, they build these houses, they build these lives that look authentic. And the only way you're going to know <clears throat> who really heard these sayings of mine and did them is the house that's standing after the flood comes. Because the flood is coming. And the flood's going to test your house. And the test is when the flood's over and the storm's gone, who's standing and who's not? And I'm not talking about this diehard, dig your feet in the sand. Well, I'm still here and by God, you know. No, it's not that kind of standing. Who is representing the Father when the storm is over? So you were forgotten. 
You were misunderstood. You were neglected. You sinned. And you paid for it. You were overlooked. You were offended. You were mocked. You were gossiped about on Facebook. You were slandered among your friends. A group of people in the church actually formed a clique against you and didn't include you. There's your storm. Now, how have you been building your life? That's them. Is this you? Those steps away. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody likes me. Nobody's interested in me. And we just get further and further and further away. That house is falling. Doesn't look like Jesus to me. Jesus to me looks like about face and approaches. How can I lay my life down? What sacrifices can I make to make this better? What can I do to help you? How can I serve in your life and How can I benefit you? And how can I give myself? How can I pray for you? And you feel the hate. And sometimes you're confronted with the misunderstanding that it was all a misunderstanding. And the house is standing. The expression of the Father is coming through your life. It's it's not bitterness. It's, It's not antagonism. It's not revenge that's coming out of you. But like Joseph, God has healed your heart and made you to forget. And the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God's coming out of your life. You're my friends, Jesus said, because I'm going to lay my life down for you. Now, if you do whatever I command you, you're my friends. And this is my commandment. Love one another as I've loved you. This would, this would transform our community in a moment really would transform the prisons. Those guys wouldn't know what to do with love. It would break them down. You'd watch the most hard, cold, calloused hearts weep openly before God. Seen it happen. The hardest of lives melted by the love of God. Now, not everybody does. Not everybody does. But those that do, And those that can show this love. And again, this love does not necessarily bring repentance. This love does not necessarily save. This love does not necessarily change a person's life. If I loved on that basis, I'm not loving like God. I'm loving on a conditional basis that is in regard to your behavior. And if your behavior is not what I like, then I'm going to withhold love from you. Praise God, the Lord was not that way with us. He just was, and this is really, this is really difficult for us to deal with. Really difficult for us to do. Unspiritual men devastate the body of Christ. 
They really do. Foolish questions that gender strife, contention, strivings about the law, wandering from house to house, murmuring, or social media nowadays, tattling in busybodies. When we're supposed to live in peace without murmuring and comforting one another and loving one another so that the God of peace will be with us. Establishing each other and comforting each other, being hospitable to each other, being generous and forgiving and kind. And there's no exceptions to this way of living in the Bible. There's just no exception. That's just, that's the nature of God. I, I want the nature of God in my life. The highest achievement of the human is to be able to, not in the Garden of Eden sense, to be God, because we'll never be God, but to be like the man Christ Jesus, to be like him, to love like him, to worship like him. To serve the Father like Him. To love others like Him. That's that's the highest achievement of a human being. Because He is the human being that achieved it. And the greatest thing that we can do, He said, was to love. Love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what He said. This loving in this way, this ultimate state, the way God designed us to be and act and relate to one another. Will bring into a fellowship and into a church and among people freedom from fear. The freedom from ever being forsaken. The freedom from ever being abandoned because of our badness. Being abused because of our failures or being crushed because of our faults. What would you do with me? What would I do with you when I saw something wrong? What would we do? How would we treat each other? Would we lay our life down? Not that we can redeem anybody or atone for anybody because we lay our life down. But we can sure help somebody in their walk with God. I want to close with this. The, The worship can come up. My passion, uh, this is my desire as a pastor. I just want to read this to you. This is my desire. This is what I want for us as a church. This is what I'm after as a pastor to be. To love you when you hate me the most. That's what I want to be. To love you when there is every reason not to love you is what I want to do. When you're the baddest, I want to be the best to you. Now, of course, there might be situations where people refuse to repent, refuse to deal with their life, live in an open rebellion against God and man. The Bible Deals with those types of disciplines. But those are the exceptions. But the normal is. I want to be a pastor who loves you. Not when it's easy to love you. But when it's hard to love you. I want you to be a people who will love me. Not when it's easy to love me. But hard to love me. This is a 
a beautiful summation. Listen to this. I'm just trying to say to you that I want to practice what I preach. Pastoring is more than reserved seating, which I don't ever receive. I'm the last one to eat because I want to make sure you've been served. I don't have a special seat on any of the special days. I've watched other churches do this where the pastor sits and he's served. I, I don't want that. It's not who I want to be among you. I just want to be among you. Pastoring is more than reserved seating and someone making you a plate after service. It's taking a million secrets to your grave. And boy, will I. I will take a million secrets to my grave. Many about a lot of you. And a lot about people who speak ill of me publicly that I could cause to go to jail or lose their jobs in about 10 minutes that I refuse to do. I will take it to my grave. For that's what God has called me to do. Deciding to cover and protect people in their most vulnerable moments. That's what you do. You cover and protect people in their most vulnerable moments. Not perfectly. You certainly make mistakes, but you own the mistake when you do it. But you have no room for error or grace. As a pastor, you have to do it perfect. You cannot mess up. Thank God you don't feel that way. You've certainly seen my mess ups. You're exposed to exaggerated gossip and slander, but you keep serving. Pastoring is more than getting your picture on a flyer. It's getting out of your bed in the middle of the night to help someone that you know is going to leave the church in about a month. And you keep serving. And you keep doing it. You know they're on their way out. But you're going to love them through the door. Hoping, hoping there'll be that turn. Pastoring is more than having an office and a briefcase. It's helping someone ten times. And the one time you say no, it becomes the only story they tell about you. The only thing they remember. But you keep serving. Those are ways I feel like I can love like Jesus and multitudes of others. But those are some ways. I would sum it up this way, that if I could be a servant of God and a servant in your life to somehow place value on that which is worthless and derive my joy by seeing men and women becoming valuable through the working of God's grace in their life, I would love that life. I would love to do that. 
have the value of God's grace on your life. So, I've titled this message, and I'm going to make sure I get it right. A Big Enough Sinner. Are you a big enough sinner to be in Jesus' inner circle? Because that's the only ones who are. The religiously holy did not make it. Are your sins big enough to love Him more than others? So you're like the grandchild Tanya talked about. Everybody's running to church. Where's my father? I just want to spend time with him. I want to see him. I want to be with him. I want to touch him. I want to hold him. Where's my father? Are you that sinner? Says you've forgiven me so much. I don't want to spend my life seeing what's wrong with everybody else and all of their splinters. I just want to get the beam out of mine so I can help people be free of their splinters. Thank you, Keith. I love you, my friend. These altars are open. Let's just worship him. Let's be humble. Repentant before the Lord, gracious before God, loving before God. The work of God in our life. How wonderful is God. His arms are open wide to you. Greater love is no man than this. That a man would lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus said. He laid his life down for you proves you're his friend. He laid his life down for you. He's not turning away from you. He's turning towards you. He's reaching out for you. I'll say this last thing. You may find it very hard to get past your wound, past your offense, past your hurt but Jesus can get past it and he's the one that needs to live in you he needs to live and in you he will get you past it I don't know how he does it he sure does Lord, we need the spirit of grace. We need the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of love in our life. This is your commandment to us. And Father, I just say, there's just absolutely no possible way whatsoever I can love like Jesus loves without the Holy Spirit of Jesus in my life and I need the baptism of your Holy Spirit your fire your love your passion your zeal consume me Lord 
How many of you would just begin to pray that? Just for the Holy Spirit, come on, lift your voice, lift up your heart.